Praise the Lord. Uh, I just discovered where a third of our congregation is. They are at something. What is that thing called at Lima? Uh, noodles or what? what is it that Nikki and Randy are at with all the... Yeah, the graduate dinner, but what's it called where they went? Wings and Rings. Wings and Rings. Yeah, in Lima. So, uh, they told me it stunk, but they went there. And it was, somebody told me it stunk. said it was horrible. But it was Philip, so. But anyway, so uh, here's what we're going to do tonight. And uh, somebody asked me, said, well, what do you think about Wednesday nights and how they're going? I think they're doing just what they're supposed to do, but I also think that 90% of the people that need to be here aren't here. And I also think that people forget that we need to prepare. The Bible says this, study to show yourself approved. And these are sessions where we get to hear, listen, and discover what people go through so that we can do something when we run into people that are going through certain things. Yeah. That's why we had suicide last uh, week with Brother Tyler. The week before that was the death of a child with Julie Clay. And uh, the week before that was with Regina Walker uh, that had to do with abortion. And so tonight is going to be a night talking about miscarriage. And sometimes, here's what we do as miscarriage, even people that are qualified by God to comfort others, we just say, oh, I hate to hear that. Boy, that's, oh, man, that's sad. That's about the extent of our exposure and our concern about others. But what we have to understand is when we study to show ourselves approved, approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, that you have to learn things that you think you're never going to know. And uh, so today... We are talking, and I'm, I'm sad that the people, you know, that need it. And that's probably all of us know people that have been through a miscarriage. And some of them have never gotten over it because nobody really cares if they do or not. And so what we do when we know that they have been through it, we've never said one word to them. We've just felt sorry for them. Feeling sorry for people do not does not and will never bring healing well i i think honey people don't they're they're so uncomfortable they don't know what to say well you that's know, why we need to learn we're, how we're to say afraid. and what you, to say absolutely i agree but right? they, they yeah they just don't know what to say because they you know they're afraid that whatever they say might hurt them or or bring up those hurts even make them go deeper you know, they're, they're just afraid. I know that I'm afraid to say stuff to people. I just don't know what to say. You oh, know? Wow. Really, I, I mean, I, mean I, I say, you know, I'm praying for you and your family or, you know, but I don't know how to really comfort them. Well, I think you have to comfort, but you also have to challenge. Okay. But the whole point of being here and us doing this is to help us, believers yeah deal with things that everyday life is facing believers and Absolutely. unbelievers and that if you don't reach out an opportunity of healing to those that even aren't saved right. then they go away thinking God doesn't care right. 
because we are the representatives of him. And uh, since we didn't do anything, whether by ignorance or not, doesn't matter. It's, right. it's what they hear and what they do. But then when you try to train people, it's always secondary to life. And uh, I'm not dogging you. I'm telling you. We, I was talking today that one thing people have got to understand is salvation needs to be the most important, most valuable thing in your life. Because if it's secondary, it's only secondary because of the passionate of your love for God and for your neighbors. And so that how we are when salvation, we are just nonchalantly walking through life uh, in it and uh, never strengthening it, watching it, protecting it, feeding it, nurturing it, sharing it. When those things are not taking place, that's certainly a sign of something going out in the inner furnace of man. Yeah. And uh, right. so, you know, when Paul looked at the city, he was stirred and he started preaching, even at the cost of his own life. And, uh, but I'm saying that is because the church had become so familiar with the gospel that the attitude that, well, I've already heard that, the attitude is, well, I could go down the road. The attitude of this, the attitude of that simply means that the kingdom of God and its precepts, laws, its statutes, its judgments, as well as its value is diminishing in the body of Christ today, not only in the world, but in the body of Christ. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, because when iniquity abounds, which it is doing, the love of many will wax cold. You have to understand the devil knows that principle. And when that world affects your love or your commitment or your faithfulness to God, then understand you have got to retaliate against the pressure of iniquity in order to stay passionate and on fire for God. Now, the, the big escape is, well, I, I come to church twice a week. Hallelujah. Yeah. I know it, but that's not the value of your salvation. That is a byproduct of your salvation. The value of your salvation means that you have to put it first and foremost because you somewhere in the deepest private caverns of your spirit and soul, you believe that God is faithful. And once you die, you're going to stand before him and he's going to judge you according to mercy according to the love that you've had towards him. And if it's half-hearted, judgment will be filled with half-hearted mercy. What you sow is what you get. So it's imperative that we, as Christians, keep a priority on our salvation. We make our children keep a priority on our salvation. And we talk to our Millennials, we talk to our older children, we talk to our married children about the importance of their salvation. And if we don't, nobody else will. Right. Nobody else will. And so you have got to put a priority on the salvation of your family and on your own personal salvation. Work it out with fear and great trembling. And uh, so, but tonight we are here, and we're going to talk about miscarriages. Okay. 
And uh, so, uh, can I have Lori Sale? And then, can I have Linda and uh, Kaiser and uh, what's her name, her husband's name? Brett. Jared, who? Jared. Jared, okay. We're going to bring Jared, too. Hello, Jared. Didn't I tell you not to marry her? She's going to have babies. I told him. I told him. I warned him. Son, if you don't want to have babies, you better not marry her. She is born of God to be a mama. He said, well, we're going to have a couple. I said, you better not marry her. Yes. I don't know why you people think I, I just lied to people. No, I told him, don't marry her if you don't want to have babies. He thought I was kidding her. I thought you were joking. Absolutely no. not. I told my brother not to marry my sister-in-law. Now, I wish to God I told my sister-in-law not to marry my brother. He's the lazy one, and she's on the fire. She, she's in love, and he's just along for the ride. No. Oh, yes. Now, uh, I told a Jeremy Coon. Are you here, Jeremy? Jeremy Coon here? You here, Jeremy? Yeah, he was. I told him I was walking through the uh, foyer one time. God said, he's getting ready to make a decision to go to Bible college at Rod Parsley's. He said, tell him, stay right where he's at and give you one year, and you are going to position him to change his life. And, God, and I told God, I said, well, what am I going to do? He said, he's going to marry Linda Kaiser. Lori Kaiser, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Lori Kaiser. I said, <laughs> boy, that'll be a far-fetched brother. I said, are you kidding her, me, that she's going to marry him? He said, watch what I do. So I told him, I said, Jeremy, you getting ready to go to Bible college? He said, well, how'd you know that, Pastor? He said, I'm thinking about going to Rod Parsley's. I said, uh, that, that's not good for you, not good for your life. I'll tell you what, give me one year of your life right here, and I want you to intern. And he said, okay. And when you intern, God told me he's going to change your life forever. He said, okay, Pastor, I'll give you one year. And sure enough, in that one year, right after that, I married him and Lori Kaiser right here. And Jeremy Kuhn got the prize of his life. He married a woman that had never kissed a man in all of her life. And it was hard containing him on his wedding day. I thought he was going to swallow her. I said, son, son, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is just practice. My word, it, 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 you got a lifetime. Don't wear your lips out. But listen, if I don't think you ought to marry somebody, I'm just going to tell you. And I've been right. How many babies have I been right with? You got six, and you're still practicing for another little girl. Yeah, right. I should have told you, if you don't want to practice, you better not marry that woman. Now, all right, so we're going to talk about miscarriage. What is a miscarriage? Tell me what a miscarriage is. Does anybody know medical terms? is a rejection of the human body. Now, I'm going to tell you the medical terms. Uh, then I'm going to tell you what takes place spiritually. In the human body, the human body is designed to produce after its own kind. But 
through genetics, what happens is over time, a human body, by sickness, by disease, or by many things, can get out of whack. And it will lose the ability uh, to produce itself because of the loss of chromosomes or the loss of a certain genetic necessity that it takes to reproduce a child. That's one. The other is that the body produces after its own kind. And when a child is born or being, is given life at conception, then we understand that that child then is into a world that is subject to the rule of darkness, the devil. But in that, the body, if the child is not perfect, the body will reject the seed. And this is what we have, and we call them miscarriages. Now, please understand that miscarriages are not God's plan nor his will. This is a byproduct of the attack and intrusion of the devil into the reproductive systems of God. And so, when God gives a seed, he doesn't give that seed to have it miscarried or to have it not go to term, but God has a divine plan that's been decreed before the foundations of the earth that certain gifts, callings, and so forth, and the children that bear them will bring into this world. Now, we know the devil doesn't want that to happen. We see that in Moses' life, where he slew every child from the age of two years old and down. We see it in Jesus' life, where Herod did the very same thing. But children, as well as you and I all are, were made before the foundations of the earth. In Psalms 139, and you start about verse 13 and go on down to, I think it's verse 20, and you'll see that God has already endowed these seeds, these children that have been known, and their date of birth has been proclaimed. Their death has not. You say, why? Because a man's death can be shortened or lengthened by the life that he lives. We know that. Uh, according kids, children, obey your parents, or they'll kill you and you'll have a short life. But if you do what's right, God will lengthen your days. So death really doesn't have a date on it because there's many things that you can do. You can do stupid stuff, like some men jump out of airplanes. That's pretty stupid. Why? God never gave you wings, he gave you feet. And I think Lester Summerall said, man can kill himself faster than God can think of ways to redeem him, which is not true. But he's just saying that man destroys himself far more than the devil accomplishes his plans against him. And uh, when you do foolish things, you end up having foolish deaths. And uh, so, but God gives these 
and they have appointed times to be born based upon the spiritual atmosphere, the political atmosphere, as well as the prophetic atmosphere of every generation. We see that in Paul's prophetic fulfillment. The temple is going to be destroyed. We see uh, political upheaval. There were 10 uh, emperors from the time that Jesus was crucified to the time that Paul was uh, called on the road to Damascus, 10. And then we also see not only the prophetic fulfillment, but the spiritual igniting that God gives birth to a nation in the day when he goes from the Israelites to the Gentile. That's prophetic fulfillment. So all these children that have had miscarriages, abortions, or died still had purposes. God never shortened any of their lives. But when they come into this world, much of what they're dealt is out-of-order systems. Much of what they're dealt uh, is uh, less than perfect. And then there are the accidents and things that happen in life that are not, and tragedies. Tragedies are not planned, and they aren't accidents. They just happen. And uh, no rhyme or reason, no selectedness, and really not every tragedy can be assigned to the devil and his involvement. So we're going to talk about miscarriages, and this happens more than people will ever know. So, Lori, you had miscarriage yes, I did. one or just one. just one and so tell me about your miscarriage the marriage uh, I don't know yeah, yeah you're on very good okay. um well jesse and i kind of came to the table a little bit late we were married in our early 30s um bought a home in our first year of marriage fully intending we would start a family um life happened and uh, he lost his job we lost our home and the idea of children had to be pushed back. Um, when we started trying, I was probably 38 or 39. Okay. When we settled down. Um, <clears throat> it took about three years. I was actually 42 before I conceived. So just to give you a little, a little background. Um, to our knowledge, everything was going perfectly fine. Um, I had no inkling that anything was wrong. Felt great. I uh, just went to the doctor for a normal sonogram when you're in your 40s they want to peek inside a little more often than for a 22 year old so went for a sonogram and sitting in the chair the doctor just sat down pushed his little wheeled stool back and said i have to tell you that i believe your pregnancy is ending and of course at, at that point uh just went numb because that was not in the plan that's not what we've been praying about how many months were you lori um i was just a couple months in Oh, okay. So it, it, it was very early. Um, but he told me that he wanted to verify it. So please go get some blood work and then come back 24 hours from now and repeat it. And we'll check your levels. And, and if they're falling, which I believe they are, then we're going to have to schedule surgery. So um, somehow managed to get out to the parking lot, um, fell into the car, and just began to wail and scream and just say, God, you said, God, you said, God, you said. Reiterating the scriptures, that's the only thing that would come up out of me. How I got home, I have no clue. 
uh, drove through the fog of tears and the numbness of shock. Um, got home and had to wait for my husband to get home from work. Um, he came home, and I'll never forget, uh, having to sit on the chair and share the news with him. Um, he sat there with his head down for a while and came and comforted me, and he immediately said something very unusual for him. I'm going to call pastor. He's not the intrusive person that just picks up the phone and, and takes, you know, takes liberties, but yeah. he, he called. And um, I remember that he passed the phone to me, and it was Pastor Phyllis. She tried to encourage me, tried to comfort me. Um, and then we hung up the phone when I promised that I would obey the doctor. <laughs> that, was, that was her main concern, don't die. You go do what the doctor says. Yes. So uh, five minutes later, the phone rings again, and it's Pastor. And he says, you know what? We're not giving up. We're not giving up. You, you come in the office tomorrow. I'm going to pray. We're going to believe God for a miracle. So that's what I did. Went back um, for prayer and then uh, had to go get the blood drawn and then had to go home to wait. Um, read every miracle scripture in the Bible in, in about an hour and a half and uh, rode up and down the highway just praying in the Holy Ghost um, and waiting for that phone call, which came about six o'clock that night. You know, we're so sorry, but your levels have dropped significantly, it's dangerous, you have to have surgery in the morning. So um, we knew that um, it was over. Um, then you find a way to get up the next morning and you take a step. And I think I lived in a fog that I didn't realize was there for about 15 months. Um, thought I had quote unquote recovered, thought that I was walking by faith, thought that I was walking in the word, thought that everything was good and, until one day the fog began to lift and then I realized that I was not well. Um, but uh, God in his grace and mercy gave me a task and that task was to sow a seed. He instructed me how to sow it in order to be able to buy another home because we'd lost our first one. So he's giving me hope. He's giving me something to put my focus on. And uh, so to see two weeks later, my husband comes walking out of the office with this stunned look on his face and he said, our, our credit's perfect. I can't explain it. Two weeks ago, it was in the basement. Now it's in the penthouse. That's God. So, so... <laughs> Got a house. And how much was that seed and where did you give it? <laughs> no. I gave it here. It was, it was $150, which I didn't have. I had to literally sell coins to gain the money to sell Praise the seed. Praise God. But, uh, but that gave me something to do. Um, and so we bought another home and decided we would pursue adoption. Um, spent a couple years doing that. That uh, did not happen. Um, won't go into that a lot, but uh, about 2009, which was five years after the fact, um, I had a sudden, uh, very nearly a breakdown. Didn't know why. Um, just wanted to leave everything. Wanted to leave job. Wanted to leave church. Just not my husband. Didn't want to leave him. See, but you said that's else, not common else. for men. It What's happened that? to Lori. She's wanted to leave and give up everything. I tell her that every other day, and she said, that's not normal. 
I said, yes, it is. Living with you, it is normal. So anyway, I've gone the long way around just, just to explain the process is not short. Um, and you preached a very pivotal sermon during that time about the healing of a soul. Unfortunately, um, I was not able to be here both times that you preached it. Um, and I, but I recognized I was broken. That, had, that shattering and that crushing had never healed. And so one day I made an appointment for myself because I know the secretary. So um, got right in. <laughs> I, I made, an, way in. made an appointment for myself. I came in and I said, <coughs> you have to pray for me for the healing of a soul. I'm so broken. And you're both like, okay. So you, you prayed a very simple prayer and, and, and God began restorative work, which I'll be honest with you, is, is still in progress today. Um, this morning when you asked me to come up here, that I had to unwrap yep. things that I had had wrapped up for quite some time, and it uh, was pretty much a basket case day. But hallelujah, you're here. I, yeah, and I, I think last, the week when Julie was here, that I said, sometimes we do not uh, get over things. We live beyond them. And uh, because they, be, they are foundational memory stones, as, as Jesus, uh, Joshua said, look, we're going to pick up 12 stones, we're going to take them over there. And every time, then you tell them the story. So these stones that are laid in our lives, even though they're not God, God's will or God's purpose, but if we set them in our life, then we use them as testimonials. We can use them to reach out and to help people and touch them. So I don't think that we ever get over that type of stuff uh, because in our concept of life, it began before the foundation of the earth. It is just that an open door stage to come into this world at conception. And uh, so, and, and the devil does more than just take one life. He he tries to destroy multiples of lives. And, uh, and if you let it, it will do so. We had a couple in our church. If I mentioned his name, you would know him because he's an entrepreneur in the area, in businesses and so forth. But uh, him and his wife could have no children. And uh, they were both drug addicts. I mean, hardcore. And uh, so... They got saved. They came to church and uh, they were doing great and they were growing and loving the Lord, believing God for a child. Then she got pregnant. She had a miscarriage. It looked like they were doing good. They weren't doing good. One Sunday, they never showed up. Second Sunday, never showed up. Never. Pretty soon, I hear through the grapevine, so-and-so's been arrested back on drugs. And so they fell back into this. Uh, after that, they did, were able to adopt and to salvage some of their life. But I don't know, hopefully, that has not cost them eternity. But some people that get a broken or a wounded soul, you know, it is hard, harder to recover someone that is affected mentally or soulishly 
or spiritually. Like a man with a wounded spirit, he's harder to be one than a city. And uh, then you get into the soul realm, it's the very same thing. And uh, so these are places that, you know, the devil attacks and, uh, you know, he does it and destroys a life. And But I will tell you this, David made a great statement. The child can never come back to us, but we can go to him. And so heaven becomes more important after we lose a loved one. Uh, okay, wait a let, me, let me ask Lori a question. So, Lori, how could people comfort you during that time? Because I want to know this. I really do. Because I don't want to ever say anything that would um, hurt someone. I don't know that there are words that can fix it. Um, but I, I personally think that the enemy has in, injected things in our society that make it worse. Um, for instance, and, and Linda, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they, they pretty much suggest that you just kind of keep it under wraps until you pass that first trimester, that you're not making it big uh, and yeah. public. Because they know that that's generally, not always, but, but there are many pregnancies that are lost during that time. So what you do, then you are, you're alone. It's you and your husband. Maybe you've told one or two people, but you have no support system <clears throat> because when we lost a child, our parents didn't even know. Wow. And so it's, it's twice as hard to say, oh, I was oh. going to tell you your grandma tonight, but instead I have to tell you yeah. this. And so I, I, I think, first of all, encouraging people to at least get the news out to your friends and family so they can be your support system. Um, secondly, it is acknowledging that a child was lost, not a pregnancy. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, it, it, I can't explain all of the feelings that are attached, um, but from the moment you know that child is so tangibly real and you've, you've not lost a book that you can replace at Walmart. I had people say out of the goodness of their heart, oh, don't worry, you'll get pregnant real fast now. As if I was just going yeah, to like, replace this like, child. Well, the first one was worth sacrificing. The first one didn't work, so we'll just go. And, and I know they don't know what to say. No. Right. Even having gone through it, I don't always know what to say. Right. So there's not words to say, but but I guess just the acknowledgement. Um, and, and there's not a funeral most of the time. Right. There's not a process. Right. So there's not that support under your arms okay. holding you up. You, you feel very alone. And so I guess when you find out about it, it's just to just be there. And I think people want to stay away from you because they don't know what to say. Right. So then that makes you feel even more alone. Yeah. And so uh, you're saying you need people to rally around you. And, and you may not want it initially, but you do need it. Yeah. yeah. yeah just because you can't see the outer parts of a hurt. It takes a, let's say you were in a car accident or shot or something like that. The outside can heal up very quickly. But the inward scars and organs that have been affected will take years, may take two or three years to heal up. Yeah. Uh, 
so now, Lori, you, and I know that Linda and Jared, I know everybody does everything they can, but what people would say, would say, well, why didn't your faith work? Well, that, that, that Her you faith worked. That every single moment. Yes, and uh, we don't always have answers. I, if I had all the answers, I guess maybe I'd be a, a what is that Indian's name? Guru or Gundo or whatever. Gandhi. Gandhi, yeah, Gandhi. Oh, yeah, I would be a Gandhi or Gandhi. And uh, but uh, I don't have all the answers uh, because I don't know the end of the story. I don't know the beginning of what God has prepared, and I don't know the end of what God has uh, in store. But I do know that there's an enemy to destroy life and not to help life. So I keep my perspectives on that. Uh, and so sometimes we can do everything that's right and still look like we got a wrong outcome. But that's not so because God never ever lets the adversary trump us. We always become victorious in Christ Jesus. And uh, so these children are not just in heaven. These children in some way will be resurrected. Uh, the reason is that, uh, you know, they are part of the death of those that are in Christ. And, uh, you know, everybody, everybody that has a child uh, should understand that no child uh, is accountable or where sin is imputed, they are dominated by a world of sin, and sin dominates them, but they're not subject or is it not imputed unto them until there comes an age of accountability. So if a child died, someone would lose a child at the age of 10, um, the question of whether that child went to heaven or hell should never even be brought up uh, because it's at a place that they do not know. So we do know that all children that uh, are miscarried are in heaven. Amen. And God doesn't see them. Well, they never came to term. God doesn't. When he puts a seed in the ground, he says this, and he multiplies the seed. In other words, there's no wonderment if it's ever going to happen. Once the seed is sown, it's sown. Now, Linda, you and Jared went through we did. a couple. We only had one. Just one, okay. Um, but we got married in May of 2003, and we had this great five-year plan that we were going to wait to have kids for five, five years. Well, then we had a busy summer. We had youth ex or pump we had with Pastor Kyle, and we were on youth staff. And then we did Kingdom of God with Char. Um, and then we realized my birth control failed. Whoops. Um, and then we only knew for two weeks. But we had already told friends and family. Well, you know that there's only 100% guaranteed birth control, is yes. it? He but stays on the couch, and you stay in the bed. But we were newly married, and I didn't have a curfew anymore. Oh, okay. And we would hang out with friends, and uh, the birth control had, like, you had to take it, like, every 12 hours. And I didn't know that. So... Um, we realized we were pregnant, told everybody. Um, and then we were babysitting that week, that day. Um, and he had already started a new job because we were pregnant. So he's still at that job, actually. 
um, but the day started off normal. We were fine, we were, he worked seconds, um, and then I started spotting. So freaking out, like call mom, she's like lay down. So I took a nap and he watched the, the child that we were watching um, and it didn't stop. I mean, we prayed, you know, why is this happening? Like, oh, this is, it'll pass. Well, it didn't, it didn't stop. So we had to go to the emergency room. I think the doctor was rude, but he says that the doctor actually encouraged him, but that's the difference. Um, but they never told me to keep anything. So I went and used the restroom down the hall um, and I flushed everything. Um, and he of course tells us that you're confirmed there's nothing left, you know, you're, you're not pregnant anymore. Um, so that was hard for me because I flushed it. I did it, you know, so you have to go through those questions of why did it happen? Um, what did I do wrong? Did I sin? Um, is this God punishing us? Like, we wanted the baby so bad. We'd already told our, both of our parents <coughs> that they were going to be grandparents. Um, and then mom and dad showed up, and we have to, of course, tell them. Obviously, mom knew what was going on. Um, and she was big encouragement because she had lost one uh, a lot later in her pregnancy. We were only six or eight weeks, and mom had lost one at 16 weeks. So she was a very big um, help in that. Um, but coming back to church was hard. Because we had just told everybody. Yeah. Everybody, the news was spreading. So when people, oh, congratulations. Well, then you have to go through, I'm not. And then they're like, oh, you just want someone to hug you. That's right. We don't need, I'm sorry. You know, we I just I think hugging has started it all right. No, right. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a hug or just someone to say, I'm praying for you. Yeah. Or where's your faith at? Like, <sighs> we need people to help us because at that moment your faith is shattered you're you're god why why is this happening so i mean we just had to go through a journey um and then you go through that for a little bit and then we found out we're pregnant with caleb in um january but the fear yeah that sets in because you'd already lost one was there it was thick it was strong you're afraid to say I'm pregnant because you don't want to jinx right, yourself, right. you know, because you just told everybody. Um, so we got this book called Supernatural Childbirth, um, and it gave us scriptures on what to stand. Um, in Exodus, it talks about how the vine doesn't cast its field before its time. Um, so that's one of the ones that we stood on. Um, and then we did tell people, obviously. Um, but that fear, it takes a while to go away. Because you have to hear the baby's heartbeat before you can really, not that we didn't trust God yeah. at that time. Right. But the devil tries to use that. Um, because since I blamed myself for the first one, I mean, we, I had jumped off the highest dive at camp, you know, and do all this stuff of running and things. So you blame yourself. You, why did, what happened? What was wrong? Um, we did have to settle to the fact that we prayed for a healthy baby. Um, and God didn't take it. But maybe there was something wrong with it that it didn't need to be here. So, um, Gar uh, Jared, in, go ahead. from a man's perspective, what, what did you feel? I didn't know what to feel, Pastor. Because, I mean, I was 19 when we, we found out we were just married. And I just turned 20. You know, so I was young and I was not expecting at all to be a, a, a father yet. And so you're still dealing with the overwhelming news that you're going to be a father. You know, you're, you're processing 
that information still. You're terrified. You're, you know, I got to provide now, not just for my new wife, but now for a, a child. That's why I went and got a job, you know, where I was actually working for Andy at that time. Then, so I got something with insurance, and and so I'm still in that, you know, being taken aback from that, and then all of a sudden it just flips on you to where I'm starting to come around. I'm starting to process this. I'm starting to position myself to, you know, to be a father and enter into a journey of parenthood with my wife, and, and then all of a sudden it's just gone, and then so. I'll, yeah. He's dealing with an emotional life at that point. Well, and, the, and that's the thing, because like, I'm still so confused. I'm still, you know, I'm not grounded, you know, in what's reality, because it just, it just was completely shattered, and then it was shattered again, you know, in just a very short amount of time. And so it's hard to know what to say or what to do or what to feel, and so the husband is deeply involved in this right. traumatic attack from the adversary that, you know, touches people in their soul and emotions. And sometimes we, uh, we would mostly look towards the husband, well, I hope he's comforting her and all that. But right. in all stark reality, he needs it also. Right. That, that is, is very true. And that's, what I, that's how I... I guess handled it. I looked, I saw my wife was broken, you know, was devastated. And so, you know, I turned my focus and my attention to comforting, to consoling, and to try to be there for her because I didn't know how to grieve. I didn't know how to handle it necessarily at that time. You know, now I would probably be more well equipped to be able to handle that if it would happen. But um, so I've spent years just kind of randomly. You know, just at unexpected times, something comes up and, you know, I'll take a moment to try to process that a little bit further or to grieve a little bit. But like Pastor Crown talked about last week, like I'm not very good at necessarily grieving. And a, lot, a lot of husbands aren't. A lot of men aren't. You know, they'll try to compartmentalize it. Yeah. And, you know, that's the easier way to deal with it and yeah. focus on their wife. But they need it just as much. Yeah. I agree. Uh, Linda says, oh, man, what did I do? And, Lori, did you feel guilty? Because sometimes, you know, there, there are teachings that say, well, you know, if you're sick, you must have sin in your life or something happens, you know, the blessing of God lifted and all that. But Paul tells us, which, and those are absolutely not true statements. Paul said that many are the afflictions of the righteous, uh, and through much tribulation should we enter into the kingdom of God. So lots of times people can be like Paul, being right in the midst of God's will, still have a shipwreck, still get thrown into prison, still end up naked, still end up hungry, and uh, stoned to death. So it didn't look like he was having good days on those times, but he was right in the heart of God's will. And uh, so... What did you guys, I mean, the guilt, I, I understand Linda, oh man, what did I do? But she didn't do anything that was not natural or that could have reversed or stopped or anything like that. So did you feel like, what did I do? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it was a little bit of a, a, a mix because uh, 
being a first-time pregnant mother at age 42, I, I was a clueless wonder. So I was reading all of the ginormous thick books, you know, that I could, and don't stand too close to the microwave, and don't do this, and don't do this, and don't do that. So, so the first thoughts are, which one of those did I do yeah. that I wasn't supposed to? And, and But then, even more devastating was when I looked back and realized that God had given me a warning dream, but I misinterpreted it. And I missed it. So he, he was trying wow. to intervene. And so then that takes you on a whole nother uh, world of, yeah. Guilt. Extreme guilt. Was he trying to soften the blow or was he trying to get you to use your faith? You yeah. don't know. With he, the dream. He was trying to increase my prayer life. Okay. Okay. But I, I did not see it. I, at the time, I thought it was about something totally different uh, because I was so excited and, and giddy and, and assumed that everything we were doing was enough. It, it didn't cross my mind that it could have anything to do with it. And when you look back, you say, stupid, stupid, stupid. But in the moment, you couldn't see it. And so, yeah, I had to still to this day have to, have to think about it. <clears throat> well, I, I think one thing I would say to anybody that ever goes through this or and even you guys is that nothing is stupid you know hinder sight is far better than right if i did yeah and uh so i don't think that anybody can say well we just made a dumb mistake did it it's one thing if you've been through a process a hundred times and you understand the outcome of every little mistake you're going to make, then there's a higher thing. But we don't know. Ecclesiastes said, look, you sow seven times, yea, eight times, because you never know what evil that the devil is going to attack you with. You, you don't know. And uh, so we get blindsided. Uh, you know, sometimes the attack has already been successful before we are even aware uh, but we cannot blame ourselves for that, and we cannot look back, try to change, or say, well, if I'd have done this or if I'd have done that. Well, we, we could all if ourselves, you know, until we're so old, we're gray, and nobody even knows we're breathing. But you can't do that. And I think that we have to say, you know what? I don't understand uh, everything, but I do know that death and sin will have no victory. And uh, so that child is going to live eternally. Yeah. And uh, though he's, he sought to bring the devil, sought to bring sorrow and, uh, you know, even disgrace. And uh, when I say that, I mean, people look at things differently than through the eye of love. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's anybody's job to judge when people go through things. Uh, you know, now Phyllis and I, we, when we were getting ready to have Nikki, we knew what was going to happen when we sent you to West Virginia and they took you up and down those hills. Bang, 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 bang. Then I took her walking all the next day to the fair. I knew I wasn't getting a night's sleep. Somebody no was idea. coming. You went to West Virginia and you rode on the back of the, the oh, pickup truck. truck. Yeah. yeah. Don't you ever remember what you did in life? No. You know you're married to me, right? Yeah. Okay. But no. I don't remember what I do stuff like, I mean, you know, when I do stuff like that, I don't remember. You remember we got married? <laughs> yeah. Do you? 
Yeah. You remember? Oh, no, I then, forgot. Then you remember today <laughs> that you said you was going to give me $300. No, I did not. I said I got to give you a haircut. <laughs> He's getting to look like a little shaggy dog. And, uh, but I think that for everybody that's had a miscarriage, there is no guilt. No. Uh, because this is a part of the warfare against God and Satan. Mm -hmm. And we are in the army that has been dispatched by God. And we are here on foreign soil. And we are the target of the adversary uh, in order to hurt, to destroy, to separate the rest of mankind from God. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to allow that. And again, I wish I had all the answers. I wish I understood everything. But we don't always. We do not. And so, uh, I just want to encourage all of you that you've done nothing wrong. And uh, there is no blame. If you're going to blame, then blame the right person. And uh, attack the devil. And, uh, but don't allow that shame and that hurt to destroy you. And uh, never, ever take failure as a, uh, you know, an end. Uh, I think that uh, if you would have been in a place landed that you would have had another one, I would encourage people find out why. Uh, because sometimes there are genetics That's... that don't get passed over. Well, what I was going to say, I, I don't know the medical term, but probably Dr. Crush, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Crush, but I think they said that when the uh, and the chromosomes in the embryo is not right and when they're not right that's when you have a miscarriage is that correct what I'm saying the the body will reject it if things aren't right right is that what you said okay see that's yeah. why we can't truly be one darling why is that perfection <laughs> and Okay, and if you believe that, I'll sell you a nice bridge. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, I would, so when you run into people that have had miscarriage and they say, you know, man, it really affected us or something, what you can do is certainly you want to comfort them and you want to inform them, say, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm going to be lifting you up mm -hmm. and uh, we're, I'm just going to pray and I'm going to ask God to help you. But then you can say, you know, my belief in God is that God knows every human being that's going to be born and that God has a plan and a purpose for every human being and that God has known them before the foundation of the earth, before the foundation of the world, and that your child has went to heaven. There was a man named David, a man after God's own heart, and he lost a son. And when that son died after he'd been born, that son died, and David made the statement. He said, I cannot bring the child back, but I can Amen. go to the child. So the most important thing now is that you prepare your heart to meet your child in eternity Amen. Amen. so that they will know you as their parent because as you were known that's how you're going to be known and they know you and so 
I just want to encourage you that maybe you ought to consider giving your life to Jesus Christ. And so I think I'd take it as a challenge, yet, uh, you know, a comfort that, guess what? You can go to heaven. That's right. And your child is in heaven. That's right. And so uh, yep. that's what we're doing. We'll pray, and then uh, we will uh, dismiss. And again, I hope that uh, these four nights, have these four Wednesday evenings have helped you to, to uh, know how to or to at least know that there are people in the midst of our congregation that are going through things that sometimes they just become shadows. You know, they get right. hidden because uh, we are not aware of them. Right. And, uh, but when we find people that we want to embrace and we want to pray for those people. Amen. So let's just keep all of that uh, uh, intact and in that we uh, remember that we are rescuers and that uh, we do have the ability to uh, open the heavens on people's lives and sometimes people just need help and uh, I I've uh, I remember the first man that I prayed for uh, well he was on our property and he had died uh, during a uh, tent revival the tent had blown down had hit him they called me over and they said Pastor Dosak my husband's not breathing so I looked at him he's, he's gray and uh, I thought in my mind, God, if somebody would die on this ground by an accident, I don't know if I could ever get over it. And I laid hands on the man, and the man came back to life. Praise God. And they rushed him to a Lima Memorial, Praise and he's God. still alive today. And that was the first man that I'd ever seen God raise from the dead. But, and uh, there were some people that went blind by being hit by two-befores and stuff, and God was gracious and opened up their blind eyes. But I uh, told God, God, there are just certain things. I, I said, I know that you're God, and I know that I may, or I'm, but in my mind, I think, how could I go on if I suffered such a death? And I think that just for the simple fact that these people that have uh, given their stories and shared their faith, with us on the last four Wednesday nights that they have a faith that is hidden in the regions of their spirit and their soul and they were able to tap into that and I hope that I have that faith but I, I've seen many people that have died with cancer and speaking you know look I know in whom I believed, and this doesn't reshape or define God to my family or anything else. Right. And I thought, somebody that holds fast like that, you know, I know that we all have faith. I hope mine just endures in that type of battle if I ever face it, which I don't think I will, and I'm not planning on it, and I'm just not going to allow the devil to do that. But if it did, I hope that I would have the faith of those that have, I have seen go through it and go through it victoriously because it's not about the end because we're all going to die but it is about using our faith Amen. to the end Amen. and uh, so uh, I want to thank you guys for coming and uh, so we're going to pray yeah, yeah. Amen I, I do and, and uh, if, if you guys would be willing to talk to anybody if anybody need to ask you questions yeah. right so I mean, feel that, free to ask them questions when 
when it's over, if you, you know, if yeah, you need to. Yeah, I know when uh, Julie Clay was up here, I, I walked out the door, I come in the hallways, and man, people around the hallways crying. I'm thinking, what in the world? And then I found out that all these people that they were praying for and people weeping, laying up against the walls and stuff, they were people that had lost children right here in the midst of our church before they come here or after and we didn't even know it. You know, maybe, well, you know, they lived with my wife or my ex-wife or my ex-husband. You didn't, people didn't even know. I didn't know. And uh, so it opened that up. And there may be some of you out there that just need to talk and to pray and, and they'll help you with it. And uh, so let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for your mercy, your grace. We thank you, God, that in all that takes place, you, God, have given us the guarantee that sin and death, God, will not triumph over us. That, God, our children are blessed and that, God, they have purposes and they have been ordained their beginnings with you. And, God, I ask you to touch people that are here tonight. God, maybe their soul has been affected by this. Maybe their family. God, it could affect multiple ways. I ask God that you just comfort them, help them, strengthen them. God, just let them shun and throw off guilt and God, hopelessness. And Father, know that you are the God of a second chance and that God, there's nothing impossible to you and God, we are just of the fortitude that just keeps saying that we're just going to keep on using faith because that's what pleases our Father. And God, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.